Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, how are we feeling on this Thursday, man? How are we feeling on this Thursday morning? Oh, that that was a fun one last night, right? Real fun. I don't know what you're talking about. There was, there was a game? I didn't even know. Oh, apparently there was. Uh, the starters didn't know, but the, 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 everybody else seemed to have, especially Michigan. They They were real prepared. I just struck that game out of my memories, just like Doug McDermott, Ethan Raggy, Green Blue Jays, like going to the Verizon Center in 2015, losing by 20. That Oklahoma game in 2016, or I guess that was 2015, technically. Yeah, just, you know, just, just put those away, sleep them under the rug, forget about it, put it in a box, and just say, yeah, that happened, and just uh, try to forget it. Try to forget it never happened. Yeah, yeah, it's going to go into the repressed memory bank. That, uh, <laughs> the, the most close equivalent to that is probably the Raggy game. But uh, yeah, this that was uh, oof. we'll we'll talk about it. Uh. We're definitely gonna get into it a little later. Should we even try to open up with some of the good news? I, I don't even know. Yeah. It's weird on this yeah. Thursday morning. Yeah, let, let's let's get some positives going because it's supposed to snow later today. Like we got to start with a positive. Come on. And we were so con- We were really confident. <laughs> oh my god, we we, we blew it. We swung <laughs> hard. This is probably our biggest whiff. Was it the Atlantis tournament last year? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bad, too. Yeah, well, see, that was different because it was like, okay, well, at least Nova won and we said they would win. But the predictions to get to that route, totally off. Totally Totally off. off. Right. And with this one, one singular event, we, uh, we blew it. So going into the positives, yesterday was National Signing Day. Nova inked four recruits. We got to see five star shooting guard Brian Antoine out of New Jersey finally put pen to paper. He was the top rated recruit of the class. Coming in at number 12 overall, according to 24 7 Sports. Then we also got to see JRE, of course, the newest guy of the bunch of the four man class, big man out of Kansas, top 20 recruit, another five star guy. And then just looking at the other two, a couple of four star guys, Justin Moore, a combo guard out of Maryland. And then the big man, the local big man. There's always one local guy, it feels like. And now it's Eric Dixon coming out of Abington, Pennsylvania, top 60 recruit, four star guy. All I got to say is the future is looking bright. It can only go up from there. Right, right. And and this storyline was kind of pushed under the rug, shoved under the rug because of the Michigan game going on on the same day. I, could, I, I had no idea it was signing day yesterday until. The, the morning of. It was nice to see uh, everyone put pen to paper. No surprises, which is always a good thing. We know how sometimes it can, can get crazy in some select instances. I think it really happens more so with football than basketball. But yeah, this was good to see the one of the top classes in the nation coming together, signing, and uh, we'll look forward to next year. <laughs> well, it totally snuck up on me too. I had no idea that it was signing day. I was just so hyped up on Villanova, Michigan. And then when I saw it on my Twitter feed, I was like, oh yeah, it is signing day. And, oh, yeah, we are putting together that nice class. Very excited for all the four guys. And I remember thinking, oh, man, you know, they'll get to top it off with a big dub that night. They'll get to see the team, (laughs) (laughs) see what they could be a part of, what they could be, what they could be joining. It's going to be a great time. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But before we get into that game, which recruit are you most excited for? I don't know. Good question. I, I don't I don't really know much about any of them. I mean, I would just just based off ranking, I would say Antoine, he seems to be getting the most publicity. I, I've seen some highlights of his, and he obviously looked pretty damn good. JRE looks good. I, once, I know once he recommitted to Villanova, well, not recommitted, but he, he chose Villanova over Kansas. Uh, I watched some highlight film on him. 
He obviously seemed good, but it's a highlight tape. You can make anybody look good. But yeah, I, I would say Antoine just because he's a Jersey product and uh, right in my backyard, and he's the number twelve overall in twenty four seven. He's gonna be really awesome. I've gotten to see three of the four guys. I saw everyone outside of Justin Moore, just thanks to my old city of basketball love days. And I will say, Eric Dixon, I've kind of felt like he became an afterthought just because you know he is technically the lowest ranked guy out of the four. He's only number 58 while everyone's top 50 according to 24-7 sports. He's just only getting better. Ever since he committed to Nova, he's only gotten better. He's looking like a slightly more athletic Chris Jenkins that can also eat up the boards. He is just awesome. He's got a sweet three-point shot, and I think Nova and its fans are going to be very, very happy once the local boy stays home and plays for the Wildcats. He was the first one to commit, right, for the new class? I think he was. I think he was. If it wasn't him, it was more for I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, because I think I remember when Dixon committed. Uh, I think I tried to look him up on like the ESPN top 100, but I think he committed so early they didn't even put they didn't even have the top 100 up yet for his class. I think it was like this top 60 because that's the way they do it for years in advance. And I don't even think he was on the list. But then, yeah, now he's top 60 now, so that's uh, he's definitely shown signs of improvement for sure. I just looked it up, and you are right. He was the first one to commit to Nova. Yeah. And when he did commit, he was actually outside of the top 100. So he's only been rising ever since. Yeah. So it's time to put the good news to the side for a little <laughs> Now we look at last night's Michigan game. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> this is why games are not played on paper. This is why games are not played on paper. And I was just I, – I shouldn't say I was just – I think everyone was just stunned. Michigan coming into the fin – decimating the Wildcats. Absolute domination. 73-46 to 46 victory over the Cats in the new pavilion. Horrible flex job of the new renovations on national TV. Did not work out as planned. Just for Nova, oh man, I don't even know where to start. You could. There are so many different ways to tackle this. Between struggles on defense, coughing up the ball 21 times, shooting only 32% on the floor. And then with Michigan, you had big games from Ignis Brasdakis, who Clearly, the first two games was not a fluke. And then also Charles Matthews coming in, leading the way with a game-high 19 points. Chris, let's just start with your thoughts. Yeah. What did you th- – what was your impression of this game? You're definitely right. There's definitely a lot of ways to uh, tackle this. And uh, we, were, we were discussing before we got on the air, like, was there one player out there that did more good than bad? And I don't think you can pinpoint anybody at all. It was just a bad effort all around from every – single person from the lack of energy the starters provided gillespie got blown by a bunch of times looked absolutely horrendous out there bringing up the ball five turnovers on the night and something like that happens you need your big guys to step up you need an eric pascal to really dominate you need a phil booth to go out there and hit some threes and neither of them did that pascal three of 14 from the field i liked what he was doing driving to the basket but he just wasn't able to convert and you would think that there would be some adjustment there but that, that obviously did not happen. He just was missing a lot of shots underneath the basket. It was getting absolutely stonewalled by Predzikas and Teske. And it, just, it was just a bad night for him all around. And then Phil Booth just looked absolutely horrible too. Lots of bad shots. Lots of bad, bad shot selection. Lots of bad passes too. There was a one possession where you know Villanova was trying to creep into it a little bit. It was, Villanova got a rebound. was trying to start a fast break. And then he kicks a ball out to Sadiq Bay, and it was just an absolutely horrendous pass that got picked off. And then I forgot who intercepted it, but was able to like toe 
toe dance along the sideline and keep the ball in, and then Michigan went, in, went down the other end and scored. Bad decisions all around for Phil Booth, and you need, in a game like this, in a game where your freshman seems shell-shocked and your sophomores were underperforming immensely, you need your seniors to step up, and they didn't do that. But then, yeah, like I said, freshmen were bad, sophomores were bad, seniors were bad, everybody was bad. It was just bad. It's, it's definitely hard to single – like, I don't think there's anyone you can single out here. Yeah, wow. you know, Booth's turnovers are bad, but there were just, just looking at the team overall, he had yeah, four everybody. of the 21 turnovers. And some of those passes, not by him, not just by him, but just by a lot of people, just the ball sailing out of bounds. Like, what, what were they yeah. looking at? What did they see there? The threes weren't dropping. They were only three for 15 from deep. They couldn't buy a basket whenever they drove inside. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was up with those rims. <laughs> feel like it was popping out. <laughs> uh, yeah, all the rims fall, obviously. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're at that point now. We're gonna blame yeah. the rims, blame uh-huh. the rims. We're gonna blame the the dining staff. <laughs> whatever they ate that day, whatever changed up from the menu. God, mm. nothing was going right. All right, but with regards to those turnovers, a lot of those were just miscommunications. Like toward the end of the yeah. game, I mean, I know it was garbage time, but like Sadiq Bay is throwing to nobody. Like Cremo's cutting to the basket, and he's throwing a pass to the top to the top of the arc. I'm like, no, what, what are you doing? Like, everybody was just running around like a chicken out of the head, too. Bill Rafferty was able to, to point it out on the broadcast. Whenever Villanova would drive in underneath the basket, they have this angle pass that would get, keep getting cut off by Michigan, and they did it phenomenally all night. You would think somebody would cut to the basket or somebody would cut out to the three-point line, and they were, but Michigan was cutting it off. And they couldn't, they couldn't, once they got underneath the basket, they were trapped. And I think that's why Eastman had such a horrible night down there because he couldn't really do much with it. His only option was to go up with it, and Teske and, and Rizikas were right there. It, it was just horrible to watch. Yeah, I totally give Michigan props there. Their defensive game plan was just right on point. Not only did they force all those turnovers, they converted that into 25 points. And when you have a 27-point margin of defeat, that's a big boost right there. Yeah. Just looking at what they did, you know, they shut down the three-point line just like we thought they would or expected them to. But then just trying to force Nova to go one-on-one, and it seemed like we did not have the personnel to to even try that battle. Obviously, Mm -hmm. last year we had Dante DiVincenzo, who we know could be a game-changer, kill teams off when he goes one-on-one, goes in ISO against some defenses, just pressure opponents. But we did not have that guy. Dante DiVincenzo was not running through that door anytime soon. (laughs) Uh, no, that's, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, Gillespie was not having a good night on the one-on-ones. I mean, Samuels tried a little bit, but it wasn't working either. Yeah. The, the, the one-on-one game was just a bad, bad, bad idea. It wasn't working at all. Cremo too, really bad defensively on the one-on-one portion and, and offensively, he really didn't do much either. Between the missed layups, the turnovers, it was just, it was just really hard to watch. It was really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. This was not. You know, it's fun. It's fun when you talk about Villanova basketball, see Villanova basketball being played, but it's not fun when you're not the one doing it and the other team is the one doing it. We finally understand how it is to be on the other the other side of the court <laughs> there when you're getting beaten down in a game like this. I will give props, though, to Xavier Simpson. He was one guy that we said was he probably good. Yeah, of course he did good. Of course he did pretty good. I mean, yeah, you need to look at the box score. He had nine points, four rebounds, six assists. A pair of turnovers, a block, and five, five, five steals. Did a little bit of everything, but I don't think it is not overlooked the job that he did on Phil Booth. We saw what he did to Jalen Brunson last year. Frustrated JB crossover basketball in the national championship game, but he kept Booth in check for most of the night. He was on Booth 
for a lot, and he really did a good job of not being able to do anything. Booth had been doing pretty well in the last two games, as did Pascal. Yeah. You know, like you said, our seniors were not. We needed them. We needed someone to step up, and unfortunately, it Nobody. just looked like it was bad. It was just not there. Yeah, with Simpson, we we really just focused on his offensive game when we were saying, oh, yeah, he had a pretty bad start to the year, and even last year he was pretty bad offensively, but we kind of disregarded his defensive game, and, and because of that, he probably has one of the best defensive performances I've seen from an opponent against Villanova, especially against one of Villanova's guards. And then even offensively, he was blowing by Gillespie all night, so it was a good performance by him, way to step up, and you knew it was going to be a long night when the first play of the, first play of the game, Jordan Poole, another guy who we said was uh, probably going to have a big night because he was, uh, he was pretty bad up until this game, and he's uh, wide open for an easy layup. And we're like, oh, well, that's, that's that. It, it was just a bad, uh, bad, bad start. I did not panic once until, you know, it was like 12-4 to start. And I was like, oh, you know, it's just the beginning. And then there comes a certain point in the game where it's like, all right, well, you know, let's let's get it moving now. Let's Let's go. And then you just see the margin just slowly widen, get bigger. And then when you're all of a sudden you're losing by 20, and it's like, yeah, it's going to be one of those. It's gonna be one of those. <laughs> yeah, and and it, it was at the margin where you're like, you can't be like, oh well, we're a second half team, so we'll come back. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. nah, nah, I wasn't feeling it. Seventeen points in the first half, just ugly. I, we had Catherine on on Tuesday, and she highlighted the defense, and still, I was like, eh, I don't know. I think it's a product of their competition a little bit, but of course, completely, completely whiffed on that one. And our defense was not that great. Oh, no, 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 no. Lots of missed assignments, lots of, lots of bad switches. There was one series where Cremo, I think, like missed like two assignments in a row or back-to-back, or he, or he wanted to – or Phil Booth wanted to switch with him, and Cremo failed to realize it. Someone went in for an easy layup, and like Phil just threw up his hands. Like, are you, ki- are you freaking kidding me? I think that's just a product of just everybody being new, but like at the same time, you would think they would kind of – figure it out by then but you're showing frustration like that that early in the game i think it was I'm pretty sure it was in the first half you, you knew it was going to be a long night that's a good point too i know that uh, you know i only saw it on tv you only saw it on tv we had billy vinci over there covering for view hoops at the pavilion so we were only limited to what the tv cameras showed us but i had not i don't think i've seen nova just it looked like guys were just like upset with each other there were probably three or four instances on tv where the cameras caught guys yelling at each other like it looked like at least that they were yelling at each other getting on each other and then we had that hold me back moment between dcr and xavier simpson and it was just like what what is going on right now what is happening this is clearly not we are not in our element right now oh yeah you're exactly right a lot of people were getting frustrated with each other You, you rarely saw that in the past few years, rarely, rarely, rarely saw it. And, and now, I don't know. I think it's just a lot of new faces and new places, and everybody's got to catch up to the speed of the game or whatever. But I mean, and it's still early in the season. It's only game three. I'm not in complete panic mode yet. It was a very embarrassing loss. It felt like the team got exposed a bit. But at the same time, let's chill out a little bit. But it is a little bit concerning that people are frustrated this early. It did seem like, though, no matter what Nova could have done, when I was just watching the game last night, I remember thinking, oh, well, you know, what if they just go all in and stopping the dribble drive, stopping the dribble penetration, mm-hmm. and then, you know, just, just you know, just beg Michigan to even try to shoot from deep. And then, of course, as soon as I thought that to myself, I believe it was 
Jordan Poole, I forgot who, or no, Livers, Livers, Livers. He got the ball wide open at the three-point line and just sank it. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, of course, I mean, <laughs> if we, I was like, oh, well, if we get, we take away the dribble drive, they shoot threes. And of course, even though they're not a great three-point shooting team, they'll probably go eight for nine just because of our luck in that game. Yeah. And then when we try to clamp down on the perimeter, they're just going to kill us <laughs> one-on-one as they did all night. It was just seemed like there was no answer. They had Villanova beat on every, pretty much every aspect of the game. Last night, like you said, no matter what happened, I don't. I think I think Michigan was going to win. They seemed so much well prepared. They seemed much more ready for this game. I don't know about the whole revenge thing. I understand the whole revenge tour that Michigan's on, both football and basketball wise. I guess now, but uh, the two teams are completely completely different. So you're not pushing the panic button just yet. But where do we go from here? There were a lot of flaws, which mm-hmm. I guess is part of growing pains. And we knew that there was going to be some ugly moments along the way. When you have such a big roster turnover, five new guys, a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns coming in. What now? Yeah, a lot of people are comparing this to the Oklahoma loss, and I think you kind of agree with me because I was telling you off air. This doesn't feel like the Oklahoma loss because, and, and to your point, you said that you know that team, that game, they, they felt like they were trying. They were just missing shots. Uh, Oklahoma just played a better game. And yes, that was another beatdown, but it felt like, that team was at least trying a bit. The shots weren't falling. It happens. It was that type of game. Yeah, exactly. In that Oklahoma game, you know, we were contesting shots. They were just right. making crazy ones. Right, exactly. But this game, it felt like they gave up, <laughs> at least, and it pretty early, too. It wasn't like they, they stayed in it and then, you know, just kind of faltered at the end. No, they, it felt like they kind of gave up, lost all the intensity, any intensity that they had at least halfway through the first. It was not a pretty sight. And, and that's not typical of a J Wright team to just die and roll over like that. And that's why I kind of think this is a little bit different than that Oklahoma loss. I do think it'll be a good teaching moment for sure. I, I think that this will actually help in the long run, but I don't think it's going to be exactly like Oklahoma where everything's just going to start clicking right after that. I definitely agree with you. And I think that this will be a very good teaching moment, especially when it cut away to the huddles and they had J Wright mic'd up, whatever. And he was like, Quote, quote, you guys are not playing Villanova basketball. You guys are doing too much one-on-one, trying to be the hero, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, paraphrasing. It was not pretty on offense. It was not pretty on defense. But you get a team to regroup against. You get Furman this weekend. Uh-huh. And this is not a Power 5 team. This is not Michigan. This is another team that's also defensively pretty good. So, it'll you know, it'll be a good way to kind of regroup, recalibrate before you go into the Advocare Invitational but I think this team, it needed a punch in the mouth like this. Obviously, you don't want to lose games, but it needed some sort of check. For, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I thought that would be in the Kansas game in December. I, didn't, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but I, I feel a lot of people were talking about it on, on social media. But uh, Javon Quinterly playing limited minutes and Jay Wright kind of leaving Colin Gillespie out to dry. What were your thoughts on that? It's like on one hand, I see – what Jay was probably getting at, you know, see how he responds to not having a hot game, see how he responds to a big deficit, just playing from behind, this and that. On, on the other hand, you have Javon Quinterly. The game isn't going very well. You've already kind of made a message saying you will not help us. Like you can't help us right now in this current state with a comeback effort. But I thought he should have gotten way more burned in the second half, especially once he finally did go in. They they left Colin Gillespie in, and I was just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get that either. Yeah, he was uh, helping with uh, Swider 
for a few minutes, and then they went to the all new guy lineup. So, yeah, I, I felt like that once, like the game was kind of out of reach. I mean, why not just defer to Quinterly? Like you gotta get you gotta get a minute somehow, Jay. I mean, look, I'm not gonna completely question him, but I, I do feel like that was a little bit of a of a, a mistake uh, to not even put Quinterly in for a good chunk of this game. It, it just it, Gillespie, it was clear that Gillespie just didn't have it tonight, and you know it happens. You have your bad games. I would have loved to have seen Quinterly tonight. I would have loved to have seen what he could have done in an expanded role. We saw what he could have done in garbage time. Well, it was part of garbage time, but he was able to put up some points. He had some nice passes, had some nice dishes there, able to score. Granted, it was against backup talent, but you know he was still going out there and putting up a respectable stat line in the waiting minutes. So he it, he did show some of his abilities off, but yeah, I, I would have rather just at least tried it. You couldn't have gotten any worse is my point, really. You knew what Gillespie was giving you at that point in the game. You knew what all your starters were giving you at that point in the game. He kept, I Personally, I yeah. felt like he left them in too long. Did not even give Quinterly the minutes that I thought he deserved, at least toward the end of the game. Yeah, a little disappointing. Yeah, granted, it was against backup talent, but you saw he was, when he dribbled, he was able to get in there. He didn't finish all the time, but he was able to get in there. Who knows how different, because we saw Gillespie trying to do it, and that didn't really work out as well. He just turned the ball over or didn't finish or it just kind of disrupted rhythm. We did see the whole, the thing that we haven't seen in a few years where they dribble to the basket. It doesn't, not necessarily Gillespie, but you know, just different Wildcats dribbling to the basket, getting under the basket and then doing nothing and then kicking it back out. So like rinse and repeat. And it was like, well, what is that? What yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah. No, no. I don't know what that was. It was just, it was bad basketball is what it was. We got to move it on Furman. I'm, I'm leaving this one behind. I'm, I'm done. Do you yeah. have anything else you want to add about this? <laughs> no, just bad game all around. Everybody stunk. It happens. I guess I'll end it with some few fun facts. The last night's loss did break a 106-game streak in which Nova was able to go without a double-digit loss, which is pretty impressive. I didn't realize that the Virginia game was 106 games ago. Felt like a long time ago. That's That's been a while. <laughs> didn't realize yeah. it eclipsed 100, but yeah, that's a while. Yeah, the Virginia loss was actually a, about two weeks late after that Oklahoma game in Hawaii, but it is the first 20-plus point loss since that Oklahoma game that we s- just so mentioned earlier. But now we're going to put it behind us. We're going to move on, put it in the past. Wildcats are going to use it as film dissection. Wouldn't want to be a single person in that film room, by the way. Or in practice, just to oh, oh, my God. The suicides? I was I was sitting there thinking. I was like, ooh, this is going to be a lot of sprinting. This is going to be a lot of conditioning. Eugene, Eugene, you got to be PC. It's, it's, it's called lines now. Wait, what do you mean? They, they don't, they're not called suicides anymore. They're called lines. Wait, are you, are you serious? Deadass. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. No, that was the thing. Oh, learn something new every day. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no. don't, don't want to be in that practice. <laughs> don't want to be in that practice. Now, now I might have to start asking some coaches what they what they call that running drill. Oh yeah, my co- my coach used to when, we, when I played in middle school, he used to call him lines because he didn't want any of the parents getting mad at him, calling him suicide. Okay, I, I never heard this. Is the first time I've heard yeah. of this. So yeah. this, this is a thing. It's an actual thing. All right, now we're gonna officially, for real this time, put the Michigan loss behind us. We're gonna look ahead to Furman. Pretty solid start for the Paladin so far. They're three and zero. Coming out of the Southern Conference, they have wins over Bob Jones University. I'm not. I don't. I don't even know where that is. We don't even need to look it up. It's not even Division One. It's. It's actually 
get this, it's not NCAA, it's NCCAA, the National Christian College Athletic Association. Yeah, and apparently they're not even Division One in that. They're Division Two. So figure that one out. I'm not exactly sure of the connection there. If someone knows, please let us know. And they've also beaten Loyola Chicago and Gardner-Webb. And that Loyola-Chicago game was actually a pretty solid win. I don't know if the hoopla surrounding Loyola was probably from based on, just based off of last year. And I don't know exactly what their team's looking like this year. But it's still a solid win for them. Yeah, especially in Chicago. And they got it. They won on a game-winning dunk with less than two seconds left. So it was a pretty exciting game at the top, too. Yeah, and then their win against Gardner-Webb was also another close one. They won overtime, beat them by two. Let a big lead slip away. But they were able to hold them off and win in overtime. They will play another non-Division One opponent later today when they go against the North Greenville Crusaders. Also, don't know where that is. Not even going to pretend to know because they they are D two. Chris, what can we expect from this Furman team? Who are some guys to watch out for before going into their lead scores? Just want to mention that last year Furman lost, or this year Furman lost three of their four top scorers as we had mentioned in our non-con preview show. So they had lost a lot of scoring going in. So it was expected that Furman would drop off, but hey, they're they off to a good start, like you said. So Matt Rafferty, he's their senior forward. He's their head honcho over there. He's the do-it-all type guy for Furman. He's averaging 22 points per game, eight boards per game, and five assists per game. That's a pretty solid stat line. And he's shooting a ridiculous 64% from the field. And, it is, and even last year, he was shooting a pretty respectable percentage it was around i think it was around 58 59 percent he can definitely knock down some shots and he, he seems to dish the ball pretty well too and he can grab boards he's he is the do-it-all type guy for Furman. Uh, next up you got jordan lyons as the lead guard he's a junior who loves to take threes he's averaging over 10 three-point attempts per game and is shooting 38.7 percent from deep so he is a shooter he's averaging 15 points per game as a result and he's in a much bigger and expanded role this year. He did not play all that much last year, minutes-wise. But due to losing three of your top four scorers from last year, you're going to have to eventually step up. And he was one of the guys who has stepped up so far. And another guy who stepped up is Clay Mount. He rounds out that three-headed scoring monster for the Paladins, averaging 15 points per game, just under seven boards per game. He's basically Rafferty light. But he just he get, he doesn't have as many assists. He's not as good as a passer. And as I mentioned, he had that game-winning dunk against Loyola Chicago to give Furman the victory there. He is a sophomore. He's forward. And similar to Lyons, didn't play all that much his freshman year. But he uh, towards the end of the year, he, he saw an expanded role. So he was able to build upon that going into this year. And he's now even getting significant minutes this go-around. So watch out for those three. Yeah, and another thing to note about this Furman team is, you know, last year they were, as we mentioned in the non-con preview, they were top 25 in three-point defense. This year, they're holding teams to shooting 28.6% from long range. Now, granted, that might be overinflated when you play Bob Jones University, but <laughs> this, you know, we can expect them to give Nova at least a hard time. You know, everyone knows Nova's loves to shoot it. They didn't do so hot against Michigan. They haven't done so hot in general. Just looking at this year, they're actually in the bottom half of all of D1, shooting 32.1% from deep. So I don't know if this is just one of those games where Nova finally you know, gets it going in the right direction in terms of shooting it from deep because offense is just so fickle like that. So fickle. Yeah. But I would love to see how Nova reacts to this game. 
Yeah, I, I could have seen this game sneaking up on, on them a little bit if they had beaten Michigan. Maybe they could have just overlooked Furman or whatever it may be. But I, I still would have thought they could take care of business pretty easily against these guys. But now, even after the loss to Michigan, I'm even more convinced that they'll be A-OK. <laughs> I don't think they'll have any letdowns here. I think Jay will have him prepared. And we all know how Jay reacts to after a loss. This team hasn't lost back-to-back games in forever. I don't see it happening. It might be a little bit of a contest, like you said, but I think they'll be fine. Yeah, right before we close out our little scouting report here, I just want to bring up one more player, Andrew Brown. He's a senior guard. He only averaged seven points per game this year so far. A little bit down from his scoring mark from last year. But he's shown in the past, especially last season, that he can take and make the three. He hit on over 43% of his shots from beyond the arc. Even though he hasn't seen much success this year from deep, probably because we're going to highlight him in a positive light this time. He probably still will not find much success from deep. <laughs> but uh, I just want to put him in there because we don't want to overlook guys. We don't want to overlook guys. Right, yeah, we got to cover all our bases. Shooting like 20-something percent from beyond the arc this year, and now watch, he'll probably go 4-4 four four pretty easily, hit some key shot or something. We keep it close in the first half, something weird like that. But when I was, was doing the research for, for Furman, on ESPN, they have this guy listed at 5-2. So I, when I was looking at Andrew Brown's stats, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's 5-2. How the hell is nobody talking about this? That's hilarious. It's shorter than a lot. It's shorter than a great majority of people. And he's playing basketball, and he, he's putting up, what, seven, seven, eight points a game. That's pretty nuts. So I'm like, there's just no way. So I go to Furman's website to confirm it, and Furman lists him at 6-5. That was an absolute buzzkill. That would have been fun to have seen a 5-2 guy running around out there. Oh, that would have been nuts. I'm sure he would have set like a ton of fun little trivia records and things like that. Yeah, that would, <laughs> that would have been funny. What are your predictions for this Saturday? The game's set to tip off at 5 o'clock. If you can't make it to the fin, it'll be on at Fox Sports 2. What are you expecting from this game? Uh, I expect Villanova to turn it around. I expect Jay to have them very well prepared. I expect a, a very sound, fundamental game. And I think Villanova takes care of business at home. What about you? I think Villanova should take care of business. I'm not even going to put a score prediction anymore. I'm, I think, I think I'm just yeah, going to hold I, off on that for a little bit. I, I think we both should be done with that. <laughs> Claiming double digit wins against Michigan. I think that should be put on hold for, for a long time. And I think we can add, we can officially add Xavier Simpson, Jordan Poole, Isaiah Levers to the Pookie Powell club. We're going to name after Pookie <laughs> Powell as players that have not been positively received on scouting reports. We've talked about them as players who will probably not do much. Yep. Uh, they're, you know, they're maybe like the third, fourth guys on the court. You know, they're not the main guys. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, when they go against Villanova, they get the, they get the big game. They get the big game, hit the big shot, something like that. So they all join the PPC. That's, that's hilarious. Once again, the game is 5 p.m. this Saturday, Fox Sports 2. I'm expecting a win. Chris is expecting a win. Hopefully, it'll be a much better. I'm, I think it's got to be a much better performance than, it's gotta than be. last night. It's yeah, got to be. It's got to be. Whether we like it or yeah, it's got to be better. <laughs> so we're going to turn our attention now to some other things going on this weekend. Non-men's basketball stuff. First up, we're going to look at another team that's looking to have a little redemption tour. Or I shouldn't say redemption tour, but they're looking to redeem themselves after last week's letdown. We're going to look at the Villanova football team. They're going at their season finale. This is it. This is it. They're most likely, well, I shouldn't say most likely. They're probably out of the playoff running. They're probably out of the playoff picture. 
But they have a chance to be a spoiler yet again to their rival, Battle of the Blue, the Delaware Blue Hens, who, just like last season, just like when we did this last year, they're looking for one of the last playoff spots. Chris, Nova, it hasn't been the easiest of seasons. They had that very promising win against Temple. We thought that it was going to be like the start of a national championship campaign or a deep run in the playoffs. But unfortunately, that just hasn't been the case. Between injuries, offensive miscues, and things like that, mm-hmm. what can we expect from this Delaware team? What are they bringing to the table? Can we be the spoiler yet again? It's going to be tough going on the road against a uh, proverbial rival, you know, CAA, SEC of Division One, AA, or FCS, whatever you want to call it. You know, Villanova sitting at one six in the CAA, which is tied for tenth, second to last in the conference. Uh, so that's um, that's that's not good. And while Delaware sitting tied for second in the conference at five and two, and like you said, Villanova has the chance to be spoiler because if Delaware can get some help with the main loss, they could potentially win the CAA. So Delaware is going to be ready for this, especially final home game of the year, uh, playoff berth on the line. I, they're they're definitely going to be uh, giving Villanova the best effort. But offensively. Their quarterback is Pat Keogh. He has 17 passing touchdowns on the year, thrown just six picks, under 2,000 yards passing, though, which I feel like is a pretty low number. And he's only completing 50% of his passes. So maybe not exactly the best stat line, but he seems to be getting it done. And Delaware's winning games, so I guess it's not all that bad. But in the backfield where they do most of their damage, Connie Kane and Dewan Lee, or the, or the two-headed monster in the backfield for the Blue Hens. Kane has 10 rushing touchdowns on the year and is averaging four yards per rush and 60 yards per game. Lee has yet to score a touchdown this year, but now that we've mentioned it, he will definitely score a touchdown this year. And he's averaging five yards per carry and on the receiving end. Joe Walker is the lead receiver in terms of yardage with 563 on the year. But I want to highlight one receiver for Delaware that they just happen to have on their team. is a guy named Vinny Papali. He has 556 yards on the field uh, on the year. If that name sounds familiar to you, it should, especially for all the Eagles fans out there. That is the son of Mr. Invincible himself, Vince Papali. The whole movie, you know, the whole story, the walk on. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Mark great, Wahlberg. Yeah. Great, great movie. Elizabeth, great movie. Disney movie. Elizabeth Banks as his wife. Yeah, the whole thing, the whole spiel. How cool is that? That is pretty freaking cool. I had no idea he had a son. I had no idea he even played football. <laughs> and now he's playing a Philly school last game of the year. That was pretty nuts. I had that. That's such a great story. They, I, when I was looking at looking up just to confirm that it was actually Vince Papali's son. He had, there was a big article on him catching game winning touchdown and tied in the whole invincible thing. And it was a really great article. That was really cool to see. That's the offensive story for Delaware. Defensively, it doesn't look like Delaware gets the quarterback all that much. Their lead sack getter is Caleb Ashworth with three, and nobody really gets that many sacks. It looks like I think there's a couple with two and a half, two, one. Very evenly spread out, but there's not a lot of volume there. And the defensive secondary, I want to highlight Nessier Adderley, who appears to be having a great season in the secondary. Four picks on the year, seven broken up passes, so he's their lead corner there. So that's what you got on the defensive end to look out for. Delaware seems to be pretty good. I, I expect them to take care of Villanova at home. Yeah, with Papali, that's a pretty cool story. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that uh, Bloodline's still running strong? Joe Walker is definitely someone to watch out for. He was one of their main guys last year, too. So totally, totally keep an eye out for him and how he does against this Nova secondary. This game, you know, last year when Nova played Delaware, 
And I do want to note that both teams do get up for playing each other. They do get hyped up. But last season, it was Nova's season closer. It was the last game of the season. They weren't fighting for anything other than to be spoiler and the rivalry trophy. They were very inspired. This time around, I don't think Delaware wants to let another chance get away from them. They got to be upset. They they definitely remember what happened last year. Mm-hmm. So I think this will definitely be an uphill battle for Nova. What I would like to see is, I don't think Franny is going to do it, but I do think they should put in Kadir Ismail at quarterback, six seven freshman. He can run. He can throw. I think that they're going to try to give Ben Narzik his swan song, his last game out. But we saw in that senior day, you know, just turnovers, interceptions, fumbles, just killed Nova. And I think, you know, with the last game of the season, you should just try things out, get all the younger guys in there and see how it goes for next year. Yeah, why not? Especially after a year of such unstable quarterback play with injuries and ineffectiveness. Yeah, just just try something new. Last game of the year, see what you got for next year. It can't hurt. Last game of the season. Does Nova get it? I don't think so. I think it's just too tough a task going on the road against a rival like this, especially when they have so much on the line. I think Delaware wins this one. Yeah, I think Delaware being not only one of the CAA contenders this year, just being part of this three-way, four-way race to the top, and also they're looking to solidify their playoff spot. They don't want to repeat of last year. I think the Blue Hens do take this one, unfortunately for the Cats. but. Yeah, it's just I I just think that it's just too tall of an order to go in there on the road, try to beat a playoff determined Delaware team that definitely remembers what happened last year. Yeah, for sure. But but if there is a silver lining to if there is a chance that Villanova can go in there and whatnot and win, that you can look no further than there was two games against Stony Brook and Maine, who are two of the top teams in the CAA, Maine being the top one as mentioned before. They had two close close losses there, both on the road. They were by a combined five points. So they do give these top teams in the conference a game, and especially on the road. I don't know why that is, um, especially when at home they're getting shellacked by uh, James Madison in New Hampshire, getting shut out while giving up 37 and 34 points at a time. You know, uh, they have the propensity to go on the road and give teams trouble. So I guess if you look at it like that, they could, but I don't know. I feel like the stakes are arisen, and I think Delaware's going to be ready for them. Then transitioning from football for the gridiron back to the basketball court, the women's basketball team after such a long break, a nine-day break, it's going to be all over tomorrow when they take on the Lehigh Mountain Hawks, a team that they've faced a good amount over the last few years. So far, Lehigh is 3-0 with wins over Cutstown, Central Connecticut State, and Monmouth. All three wins were blowouts, just absolute blowouts for the Mountain Hawks. So this game against Villanova will be their first real test. Villanova's had their number beating them pretty much around by 20 points each time over the last three, four years. What can we expect from these Mountain Hawks? Who are some players to watch for in this game? Yeah, so I want to highlight four players, all of whom are averaging double-digit scoring. Cameron Burr, she's a junior guard. She's averaging 13 points per game, and she's off to a great start from the field. She's shooting 55% from the field and 62.5% from deep, so she can knock down the shot some shots for the best of them. Um, but she does have a tendency to turn the ball over. She does ha- lead the team with 12 turnovers in three games, so that puts you at four turnovers per game. Not exactly the best there. But she seems to be the focal point of the Mountain Hawks offense, so look for her to get the ball and try to score the most because that's what she seems to do best. Next up is Emma Grothhouse, freshman forward. She's sixth woman off the bench, 
leading rebounder for the Hawks at 8.3 rebounds per game, but she can also score, and she's averaging 11 points per game to start the season. Next one is Gina Grundhofer. She's a junior forward, and she's putting up decent numbers. Uh, she's averaging just over 10 points per game, but she seems to be a little bit of inefficient from the field. She's only shooting 41% overall, and she doesn't shoot that many threes. She did have a big game, though, against Central Connecticut, where she dropped 17 points, and that seems to be where she got most of her points from on the year. And then Haley Pascoe, rounding out the four main players here for the Mountain Hawks. She's a senior guard. She started off great to begin the year, but then she had a really bad game against Monmouth, where she went 0 for 5 from deep and just 1 of 8 from the field. She's going to look to rebound in this game against Villanova. She is the resident three-point shooter for the Mountain Hawks. She takes the most threes by a double-digit margin on the team, and she's converting at just a 30% clip. And that's mainly just due to the bad performance against Monmouth, but she's also averaging 10 points per game, and that kind of rounds out the top four for Lehigh. Are you feeling another blowout or another comfortable double-digit win for the Cats, or do you think the Mountain Hawks will finally, finally, finally get one from Villanova? I don't know. We've been so great with our predictions lately. Uh, I still think Villanova takes care of business here. They seem to have good historical success against Lehigh, and I think Villanova's returning enough talent to to take care of business and make this basically a repeat of last year. I mean, as a team, Lehigh shooting just 42% from the field and 32% from beyond the arc. So not exactly the best numbers. I think Villanova can handle that. Yeah, I think the Cats should take take care of business. I don't really think Lehigh is too threatening. This is a team that they're very well familiar with and that they've beaten pretty soundly over the last few years. One thing I do want to note is I want to see if Villanova can pick it up offensively. We saw against Hartford that it was the reverse of their expectations, the reverse of probably how the season should go. They were excellent on defense, held Hartford to shooting under 25%. But offensively, while they struggled for the first two and a half quarters of the game, once they started going inside, they started baking their bread. Mary Gadeka with a great game. But we know that this is a team that loves to shoot them up, sleep in the streets. Five for 30 is not an accurate indicator of what they can do. They have some shooters on this team. I would love to see if they can get that bad first game or that, you know, take that rust off and finally get it going again from deep. I think that'll be something to look for. I don't think that that is any indicator of like a slump or a letdown. I think Nova should start to get back on its feet again. And take care of business against Lehigh. We are approaching that time of the day where we pop open the mailbag, answer your questions. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod with your questions, and we will talk about it on the show. We know we missed the mailbag last time, so we got we got a few. We got a few in here, Chris. We got a few. Mm-hmm. First one is from Mike J, Seattle Mike J. When are you guys talking about Tofurky this year? That's going to be next week. I think that's when we have our pre-Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. Eugene's two favorite things in the world, turkey and tofu, right? Uh, definitely on the bottom. But I would be open to trying it. Oh. Oh, come on. You won't, you won't eat regular turkey, but you're going to eat tofu turkey? I would try it just to see what it was like. Oh, okay. Interesting. We'll, we'll table these talks for next week. Get it? Table. Pun. I got it. I got it. I see, got what it. I see what you're putting see, up there. I see what you're putting up there. See, I, I nailed that one. Okay. Second question is from Notorious Golfer. Will Villanova have more or less than 14 Big East wins, not including the conference tournament? And aside from Villanova, which team has the best chance to win the conference? Well, see, it's funny because <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw uh-huh. this question was in there, we were, you know, we were prepping the outline. I was like, 14? I was like, I know I said 14, but it, I'm starting to feel like 
more than that. More. But then but then we saw what happened last night. Now I'm starting to feel like, oh, should we dial it back down? Should we yeah. dial it back down? <laughs> um and then also the the other teams that it was just not a good day for the biggies. We saw Seton Hall got lit up by Nebraska and then Marquette was getting slapped around a little bit mm-hmm. by Indiana, and it was just like, wow, what is what is going on? Yeah, leave it to Georgetown to be the only team to win. Figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least, yeah, the Gava game so far. Yeah, representing. Yeah, it makes no sense, but sure, go with that. This will definitely be a knee-jerk reaction to last night. See, it's tough because I said exactly 14. Yeah, as did I. We, and we, I think that's where this question is coming from. He wants us to – he's challenging us a little bit. <laughs> Um, I, I'm going to hold with the 14 for now. I mean, I know. Yeah, but, yeah, but the question is more or less crazy. We can't, we can't give the cop out answer. We can't give the cop out answer. All right. Um, just because I'm a jerk and because last night happened, I'll say less. I'll say 13. How about that? See, that's the thing. If I were to think it would be less, but you know, I think I'm going to stick with my gut, uh, 14, but I will oh, edit it. Oh, I will oh. edit it. No, I will edit it to say more because of what happened to Marquette, and that made me feel pretty good about myself. Because okay. I did say that we were going <laughs> to lose to Marquette, but uh, now I think we actually sweep them. Okay. So that uh, puts us over the 14 into 15. Why would I be adding the loss? I don't know. I don't know if I can add the loss anyway. The thing is, is I, I still think that Nova, you know, once it, once it just gets – once it hits top speed – once yeah. it gets into the groove, that's a sk- That's a whole different machine right there. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I want to stay on 14, but I don't know. Even yeah, last year's team didn't win four- more than 14, so it's a little tough. Yeah, last year's team won 14 exactly. Right. So I don't, I don't know. It's obviously a completely different team, and we saw what happened last night. I don't know if I, if I had to go one way or the other, it would be less, but it would be by one game. Next question is from Brendan Riley. Unbiased question for the podcast. Should the Biggies try out playing conference games early in late November, early December, like the Big Ten? Or is that still just a dumb idea? I I hate that. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think I would like that at all. I hate it when Nova or other Biggies teams have to take like a short break. Unless if it's a marquee opponent, like for example, when we played Virginia a couple years ago, take a little break from Biggies play to play them. Like that was that was pretty cool. That was fine. But if we're gonna, whenever we take a break to just play like Penn <laughs> or Connecticut, uh, last year. LaSalle, not a fan, not a fan. And right. I can't imagine because you look at the, some of these Big Ten schedules, they get like two conference games right after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and then they go back out of conference for like four or five straight games, and then it's Big Ten play the rest of the way. I would not like that at all. I kind of like the idea of when. You know, New Year's strikes or right around that time of year, it turns. We just flip the page into conference play, and then it's just straight out grinding for two, three months. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty stupid. And, and didn't they like start their schedules earlier last year because they wanted to get into the garden first? Because that whole stupidity. Thing. Yeah, that was also part of the yeah they them having their conference tournament the week of like the Mac and all these other smaller conferences. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just sat on their hands for the next week. That was, that was pretty stupid major for a major conference, but each their own, I guess. Yeah. I, I wouldn't like that at all. Last question from the life aquatic Matt Gregory. The only question I have is when you're going to bring me friend of the pod on, I guess he's, Matt Gregory's trying to come out of retirement. <laughs> former, former VU hoops 
photographer, friend of 3B. We go way back at Nova Stanford. We were on the same radio show, different times, though. I think he was on it the year after I was. But, uh, yeah, I would love to have Matt Gregory on. Why not? Yeah, sure. The more the merrier. Love it when we have guests on. So, Oh, it's it's great. It's it's great when we have guests on. It's like a party. Yeah. But yeah, you know, Matt. Well, well, you know, let's let's figure out. Let's let's coordinate a time and date. Let's 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 get this. Let's get the ball rolling. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you haven't already, please, please, please subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podomatic, Spotify. You have many options. Also, please rate us five star, five star, five star, five star. It helps us get the podcast out to all the nationers around the country and around the world. As we saw, shout out to that one guy from UK who gave us a shout. I don't know what his name is because he listed all his different teams and his records right now, but he listens in the UK. He found out about saving the Nova Nation pretty recently. So please, you know, it helps us get the show out to all the people around the world. And also check back at viewhoops.com. We, you can either A, join the party and dissect and overanalyze this Michigan game that just happened. Or you can just read up on all the cool content that we're going to have. We're going to be pumping out stuff. It's almost feast week. It's almost Advocare Invitational time. We got that game against Furman. We're going to have previewed recaps on that. It's going to be a good time. Please follow VU Hoops on social media at VU Hoops, and that's good for Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, tough game. Tough game. But I think we're going to bounce back, and I think we're going to get this dub on Saturday. And if you're in the Northeast, hopefully it doesn't snow too bad.